Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. It's nice to be with you and uh, Pastor Zach, <coughs> excuse me, Pastor Zach, thanks for uh, allowing me to come. <coughs> excuse me. I think it's great uh, as a church that you uh, either allowed or directed your pastor to be part of VBS. Uh, I, uh, it's been my experience and my observation through the years that, uh, that many churches and many pastors in general just aren't interested in children or youth ministry at all. And uh, that's a sad indictment on the current state of the church, and, and that's unfortunate. And uh, so I want to affirm that. I think that's great, and uh, I hope you do it again next year. Um, as somebody who's been a part of organizing and recruiting and setting up and running tech and doing all that sort of thing for VBS, uh, I think I have maybe 15 or 16 VBSs under, under my belt, I think VBS still works. And I think kids uh, need more Bible uh, not less Bible in uh, in their life, and I think it's great when churches are still pushing forward with Vacation Bible School. It's important. Well, uh, some of you are faithful in praying for our ministry. Uh, my name is Brian Solomon, and I um, work with a ministry called Capital Ministries, and we're involved in evangelism and discipleship efforts within the political arena. And uh, my ministry partner, Brian Hansen and I, we serve uh, down at the uh, State House in Columbus and lead weekly Bible studies for legislators and staff uh, alike. Uh, we've got a legislative aid and capital staff Bible study every Monday and a members-only Bible study every Wednesday. And, uh, and the Lord is really blessing and growing those efforts. Thank you very much. And uh, it's amazing. We, we walk out of the state house most, uh, um, most weeks and we just shake our heads and can't believe that the Lord allows us to go into the places that we go. And uh, we don't say this too, too loud. And so hopefully those of you who are streaming uh, this service online uh, won't share this with anyone. But uh, uh, it's, it's remarkable that when we show up at the state house, uh, the state troopers now even are just kind of waving us through security. Hey, come on through. We, we know you. We trust you. We're glad that you're here. You're doing some good around here, so just come on through. And so we're not wanted or have to go through the, the checkpoints and that sort of thing. And it's a testament, I think, to the Lord's goodness and his hand on our work. And, uh, and it's a good ministry lesson that when you're faithful to show up, you just do the bare minimum and just show up. God will be your help, and we pray that in the parking garage every week. God, be our help, and it's great to see uh, what he does. Well, in January of this year, the Lord saw fit to expand my role within Capital Ministries. I'm now the North American Director of Capital Ministries, which is to say that I oversee all of our state ministry capital ministries in the U.S. and in Canada, and I've been working with a couple of our other global directors uh, around the world to organize some ministry leader training conferences internationally this year. So later on this year, we're holding a ministry leader training conference in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, in Panama City, Panama, and then in Fiji. The Lord is uh, opening all sorts of doors for us to extend our reach into the political realm internationally, and we'd ask your prayers for that. In February... I was in Santa Clarita, California for a global directors meeting. And while we were there, Wednesday of that week, uh, we were meeting with, uh, with our director uh, over our European efforts. We're rolling out some neat ministry initiatives with the European Parliament. 
in the European Union, Lord willing, at the beginning of this next year. But our, our guy who's our director over the European uh, Union and Parliament, uh, his name is Slavik Rimsky, and he's a pastor in Ukraine. And he was with us when Russia decide, decided to invade his country. And, uh, and so we worked behind the scenes with the State Department and some other political leaders to extricate his wife and organized really a harrowing escape out of the Ukraine with missiles flying and everything. We were able to get his wife and two small children out of the country and uh, crossed the border into Romania, uh, barely, and uh, was able to get, catch a flight from uh, Bucharest to the Netherlands, back down to Istanbul, Turkey, and then on to um, Alabama. And uh, Slavic was able to reunite with his wife in Alabama. And then our, our boss, Ralph Drolinger, the president of Capital Ministries, uh, who had led a Bible study for the Trump administration's cabinet, had cultivated a close friendship with uh, former Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, who was also the former governor of Georgia. And he heard about Slavic and his wife and what was happening and opened up his home for them to stay uh, there at the, uh, the, uh, the Purdue estate in, uh, in Georgia. So they crashed there for a little bit, and now they're in Alabama, of all places, uh, reaching political leaders for Christ in the Alabama state legislature and doing some European work by proxy, and it's been great to see God's hand of faithfulness there. Uh, I would ask that you would pray for Slavic and his family and their church in Ukraine. Um, they're in the Odessa uh, region, and uh, in large part, their church building and their homes have been uh, preserved. But uh, who knows what will happen? Well, in uh, in May, I had the opportunity to speak to about 180 middle school students who had gathered at the state house, and uh, they were connected with a group called Teen Pact, and it was a uh, homeschool group who had gathered. And uh, they had uh, descended onto the state house for a three-day kind of an experience to learn about civics and how the legislative processes worked. And and on one particular day, I think it was the final day of their their time, they were gathered up on the 30th floor of the Rife Tower downtown. And the Rife Tower is right across the street from the state house building. And all of the house members have their offices on floors 10 through 14, and then the governor's offices are uh, floors 15 through 30, and the group was gathered on the 31st floor. So they were above the governor's office. And so if you can imagine 180 high schoolers above the governor's offices, what could go wrong, right? You know, there's no noise or anything like that, right? Well, I had a chance to, uh, to speak and, and talk about our ministry, reaching political leaders for Christ, and how it fits in with the what we believe is the missing mandate in modern missions. And uh, at the conclusion of my time, uh, I was told that I needed to save room for a Q&A, that they would have questions for me. I was like, hey, no problem. So we went through the presentation and said, well, is there any questions? Every hand went up. 180 students had a question. And uh, now they were prepped for that. They had questions even before I began my presentation. But the first question I got was, what is the purpose of government? The next one was, what is justice? What's the remedy for racism? What's your position on taxes? 
And they just kept coming. I mean, it felt like an ordination. I mean, it was. Now, fortunately, I only had about 15 minutes with these students. But I wonder uh, if that first question wasn't probably the most important question for their time together. Because in the way that I answer that question, uh, I had a chance to lay out a theology of God's institutions for the earth. And, and I think it's important and foundational for all believers to have a working theology of God's institutions for the restraint of evil and for human flourishing. And so if you were in an elevator on the Rife Tower sometime this week and you climbed in and somebody says, hey, what's the purpose of government? How might you answer that question? There's all sorts of ideas and there's all sorts of wrong ideas as it surrounds God's institutions. Well, today what I'd like to do is begin our time by walking through what are God's institutions that he's established for our good and want to give a a definition of each, briefly talk about their role, but then zero in on the institution of family And then zero in further on one person who occupies an important role within that institution of family. Before we go any further, I think it would be good if we paused to pray and ask for God's help as we search the scriptures and try to be faithful to him in our time together. Father, thanks for life. Thanks for breath. Thanks for your word who sheds light on our way. Lord, you haven't left us to our own devices. We don't have to make things up as we go. We don't have to wing life. You've given us a playbook. Lord, this morning as we search your scriptures and walk through a few thoughts, I pray that your word would be pointed, would be sharp, and that it would penetrate our hardened hearts, our minds that are so mixed up. And I pray that your word would, would present for us a measure of clarity. And not just for us. Not that we would become the dead sea of knowledge, Lord. But Lord, you would fill us and offer us the kind of clarity that we need and so that we might take your word and your precepts into this community. That we might see your work in bringing lost souls to Christ. Help us in our efforts to make disciples of Jesus. We need your help for that, Lord, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God has established, I believe, five institutions for the restraint of evil and for human flourishing. And as we think about these institutions, Uh, We'll just kind of roll through them by way of bullet form. Uh, We think about the state or government as an institution. We think about commerce, business as an institution. We think about marriage as an institution, family as an institution, and of course the church as an institution. And I think we ought to rightly consider these institutions through the lens of James 1, 17 and 18 where James says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought forth us by the word of truth, that we might become a a kind of first fruits of his creatures. These institutions are gifts for us. And when's the last time you woke up thinking, boy, government is a gift? And sometimes when things aren't going right at home, we're tempted to think, man, marriage isn't much of a gift. This old ball and chain I'm shackled to. And every kid everywhere, since uh, Will Smith sang it back in the late 80s, early 90s, the parents just don't understand. These institutions are a means of good for us. You've got to be joking me, right? No, I'm not joking. And I think when we look at these institutions from God's point of view, namely His Word, we see that these institutions are for our good. And they help us flourish. First uh, Peter is really helpful for us in clarifying what an institution is and how we come to uh, identifying something as an institution. I've just rolled through a list of things, state, commerce, marriage, family, church, and I've said these are, these are institutions. And hopefully some smart, sharp person is sitting here saying, well, how'd you come up with that, Solomon? Did you just come out of that from the ether, just kind of pluck it out and throw it on a slide, and we're just supposed to accept that as, as truth? Hopefully... Some of you were asking that. Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15 is helpful for us when we begin to consider this whole idea of institutions. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, Peter writes this. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. For such is the will of God. Well, what makes an institution? Well, this, this passage is helpful, and there's a couple of words I'd like for you to highlight or underline in your copy of the Scriptures. The first one is submit. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Years ago, uh, my wife Naomi and I, we sat in the pastor's office back there as an engaged couple. And uh, Pastor Dernlin uh, did our premarital counseling, and we sat in that office, and, and we were talking about the, 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 the differences between husbands and wives, and unpacking their roles and how they are to function. And he used this really simple but important clarifying analogy. And he says, as two cars are traveling down the highway on a two-lane way, and they're traveling in the same direction, and they face a merge sign up ahead where the two lanes merge into one, one car must voluntarily put themselves behind the other. Because what happens if they both hit the accelerator? That merge sign is coming, it's coming, it's coming. The lanes are, are descending into one And if those cars continue in their trajectory, and if one doesn't lead and the other one submits to the leadership of the other, there's going to be a crash, a fiery one. And it's not going to be pretty. 
this idea of submission has been hijacked by our culture to mean some sort of uh, subservience where one is dominating another. And that's not at all what the Christian doctrine of submission teaches. Submission is a voluntary arranging of oneself under the leadership of another. And when we consider these institutions that God has established for our good, it's our job as followers of Jesus to subject ourselves to the authority of God's word. And when God's word says submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, not for somebody else's sake, but for the Lord's sake, your worship hinges on your willingness to submit inside the context of these institutions. Will you? Will I? Submit to every human institution. Now, in this case, uh, Peter is writing specifically about the institution of the state, but he writes about every institution Every human institution. So that suggests that there's more than just the institution of the state or the institution of the church, obviously. There are others. So how do we define them? Well, this Greek word for submit or to subjugate oneself, it means to place oneself under. It's the Greek word hupotasso. But there's two Greek words for the one English word of institution. It's anthropine katise, and it means for mankind what is created, or better translated, what has been created by God for mankind. What God has specifically created for you and for me and for society. And good happens when things function right, right? And good happens when people follow the rule book, the playbook, the instruction manual. My wife and I last weekend were uh, out in the backyard sitting around our uh, patio table and we were having one of those meaningful husband and wife conversations that uh, parents of kids rarely get to have and we're we're talking about some things and, and all of a sudden our new neighbors had sent their oldest son, who's about nine years old, across the street, and he comes running around the side of our house into the backyard, and he's all out of breath, and he says, my, my dad, my, my dad, he, uh, uh, well, he sent me over. And I said, does, does your dad need a hand with something? Yeah, yeah, that's it. My, my dad needs you over, over here. Oh, all right, I'll, I'll be there in five minutes. Okay. He goes back over and so I walk across the street, and we don't know these neighbors. They just moved in a couple of months ago, and, and uh, they're just good old salt-of-the-earth sort of blue-collar folks, and uh, uh, they're great. We like them. We just don't know them. And uh, walk across the street, and they're in their backyard. They are attempting to install on their own, with no experience, a huge above-ground swimming pool. And they, with their three small children, are wrestling this 500-pound roll of galvanized sheet metal that they're trying to stand it up on edge and put it into a plastic circular track. And wouldn't you know it, the thing gets floppy and wants to fall down. And I asked the question, hey, uh, where's the instruction manual? 
Well, we don't have one, she says. And she, the poor wife, she is so stressed out. Things are not going well. And you know how it goes in your house. When stress is going up, blood pressure goes up, uh, your vernacular changes somewhat. Things are a bit tense. Both are red-faced and they're sweating bullets. Where's the instruction? We don't have one. What do you mean you don't have one? Have you ever done this before? No, I've never done this before. You're attempting to do something that you've never done before without the instructions. Yeah. We're trying to save a couple thousand bucks. Okay. Well, uh, long story short, uh, we were able to get them into a standstill. We were able to re-roll this huge roll of galvanized sheet metal, and I convinced them to wait until tomorrow, the next day, to, uh, to, to try again. In the meantime, to search the internet for some sort of PDF that had the instruction manual. I went over the next day, we found some instructions, and we were able to put it up just in time for a storm to come through and blew it all down and booger the whole thing up. So, For mankind, what is created... God has created these things for our good. And so when we think about their role, we know that uh, various passages in the New Testament tells us and instructs us that we are to submit to these institutions, to these various tools, so to speak, for the restraint of evil. We think about... um, Romans 13, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, speaking of the state. When we think about commerce, we think about the employee-employer relationship. First uh, Peter 2, 18-21 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Boy, who's worked for a, a boss who's been unreasonable? Marriage. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. Family. You think about fathers and mothers trying to work together to raise children. Children, let me see your eyeballs. Bible speaks directly to you and not just the kids, the teenagers. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. We're losing our way as a culture. We're losing our way in terms of submission and authority. There's an overall breakdown in society and culture. There's a leadership crisis. There's a following crisis. When families and churches fail to discipline children and youth according to the precepts of God's word, we have no footing in culture. There's nothing that distinguishes us from the world around us. Discipline never feels good, but boy, is it necessary. 
church. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I've heard so many pastors say, Ministry is great if it weren't for the people. What? What did you just say? Ministry is great if... No, don't say that again. Don't do that. Don't repent. But the sentiment is kind of rooted in truth. I've lingered here too long. When we think about God's institution of family, there are three categories of people who populate important roles within the family. We think about the father. And now we've got to be super specific in the year 2022 in terms of how we define people inside of the family and how God has constructed the model of of what he deems to be right as a family. So a father is a biological male functioning as the shepherd of the home. A mother is a biological female functioning as God's intended complement to her husband to complete the authority structure for the home. And children are biological males or females that are to submit to their parents. Now this slide is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit, but it's unfortunate that it has to be so necessary. I don't know if you're aware of this, but currently the Ohio legislature is hearing a uh, is having hearings on a, on a bill uh, known as the Safe Act that would make it illegal for doctors and parents to administer hormone blockers and puberty blockers to minors, um, because right now there is no law against that, and so doctors and parents are administering administrating those medications to their children. To, to facilitate the process of transgender movements on minors. Uh, I believe that to be child abuse, and I believe that to be satanic. And it's worth interacting with your state representatives and communicate with them what the Bible teaches about gender and gender identity. A biological male and a biological female coming together within the boundaries of God's ordained institution of marriage and then living out those roles in the institution of family and raising their children under the precepts of God's word so that the next generation, according to Psalm 78, the next generation would know and live out the truth of God's word. But specifically, when we think about fathers, on this Father's Day, I want to give four functions of a faithful father. Now, I think it's uh, important that I pause here to give credit where credit is due. Uh, This outline is not original with me. Uh, Pastor Vody Bauckham wrote uh, a book, an interesting book years ago, entitled, What He Must Be to Marry My Daughter. And these four Ps, prophet, priest, provider, protector, make up four categories or four markers 
in terms of readiness for marriage. So if there's any young men that are here, these are four areas that you need to grow in. But every father and grandfather, I've got news for you, and I speak this from experience, I exemplify this remark, we've not arrived yet. Not a one of us is an expert in these categories. And each of us need to continue to grow in each one. So the function of a faithful father. Four things. We consider the Old Testament role of a prophet. The prophet's job was to bring the word of God to the people. You remember the track meet that Moses had on Mount Sinai? Man, that poor old guy was running up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. And he would run up and he would receive God's words and then he would run down the mountain to bring God's word to bear to the people. Run up and then back down. Run up and back down. And throughout the Old Testament, God would use these prophets to bring a message to the people. In a similar way, fathers... Grandfathers, it is your duty to be a prophet of sorts in your family. Not in a uh, future foretelling sort of a way or, or, uh, or, or, or fulfilling some sort of a role where, where you're claiming extra biblical revelation where, hey, I've got a, a word from the Lord that I want to share with you today. No, what I mean is fathers, grandfathers... We need to be in this book. And we need to bring the truth of God's word to bear in every situation. Every situation. And so, fathers, grandfathers, it follows that one must know the book before you can talk about the book. If we were to roll through the entire book of Proverbs and just underline the word, my son, my son, my son. David, under the inspiration of God's word, is giving instruction to his children. My son, hear this. My son, I want you to do this. My son, look out for Lady Wisdom. She's crying out to you. Follow her. Don't reject the teachings of your mother and father. Embrace them. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the famous Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then goes on to lay out specific instructions for fathers to communicate the truth of God's word to their children. Second Timothy 3:16 and 17 isn't just a proof text for your bibliology. Do you know that passage by heart, by the way? Second Timothy 3:16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that man of God will be thoroughly equipped and in every good work. Everyone. Which scripture again? I didn't catch that. 
all Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. Hey, uh, hey, dads, we got to be in the book to teach the book. There was a study that was done uh, about 10 years ago. It was the biggest study of its kind. There were about 25,000 people that participated in this study. And the study was designed to discover the effectiveness of God's word in the life of a person. And what the study um, demonstrated was that if a person was in God's word one day a week, God's word had a negligible effect on their life, had zero impact on their life in living. But if they were in God's word two days out of the week, yes, yeah, still nothing. Negligible effect. No impact. Three days a week, no impact on their life. But something changes when a person is committed to being in God's word four days a week. Anxiety drops 78%. Porn use drops almost 83%. Depression goes through the basement. You go through the marital conflict, uh, decreases by half. Just over and over and over. All of these so-called mental health issues that we're all facing in life, that, that we're talking about every time that there's a school shooting, there's a mental health crisis in our country. There's a mental health crisis in our country. There's a mental health crisis in our country. I think we've got a crisis in our country because people aren't reading God's Word. The blueprint, the instruction manual for life. So friend, if you're struggling with anxiety or depression or marital conflict, I, I want to do the kindest most grace-filled thing that I could do for you. I want to suggest to you that you carve out space in your schedule to meet with God on His terms, in His book, and find solace for your soul. There's hope and healing here. Dads, grandfathers, you've got to bring this to bear for your kids because there's a whole generation of stressed out kids right now. This generation needs God's, needs God's word more now than it ever has. And they need you. Now having said that, wives, moms, grandmothers, you better make it easy for dads and grandfathers to bring God's word to bear. Because when dad or grandfather starts quoting scripture, you better not roll your eyes in the back of your head. You better not mock. You better not be dismissive. You better pave the way for your husband, the father or the grandfather of your children, to do what God is asking him to do. And that's to bring God's word to bear in every situation. We think about the Old Testament function of a priest. The priest's job was to bring the people to God, right? Uh, Turn your Bibles quickly to Job 1, verses 4 and 5. Job 1, verses 4 and 5. 
Job had a neat gig going on here in chapter 1 before the wheels fell off. He had uh, vast possessions of livestock and barns and land holdings, and it seemed like his family was pretty solid, and he loved them. Verse 4, speaking of Job's sons, his sons used to go and, and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. It seemed like there was a rotating uh, potluck sort of a thing. And each son would kind of host and they'd take turns and they would have kind of a party of sorts. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And, and when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, well, it might be that my children might have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Fathers, grandfathers, are you continually burdened for the sins that your children, grandchildren might be committing? And have you consecrated yourself? Have you committed yourself to faithfully praying for your children? You think about this function of a provider. A faithful father is a man who's committed to working and making provision for his family. Uh, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Timothy 5.8, and while you're turning there, I want to remind you about work. Um, how do you like work? That's a rhetorical question. Do I have to answer that out loud? Some of you are like, man, I love work. I can't get enough of it. But most of you would say work is a drudgery. It drains me. I'm tired. My boss, man, he is sucking the life out of me. I can't wait for my vacation coming up. We don't think about work in a good way, but I'll remind you that before the fall of man, God gave Adam a job. Do you recall what it was? To name the animals. To care for the garden. Before the fall, work was good. Work was part of having dignity and knowing and reflecting God's image to the world. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, Paul writes to Timothy with this. He says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, family, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Fathers, grandfathers, we have a duty to work. We have a duty to provide. We can't shirk that responsibility. It must be noted here, those institutions that we rolled through at the beginning, what happens if one institution begins to do that which the other institution is designed by God to do? For instance... What happens if the government tries to do that which the family is uniquely designed to do? What happens? You have a nanny state. What happens if the government leaves its sandbox to do that which the institution of commerce is designed to do? 
You have communism. You have socialism. You have Marxism. What happens if the church leaves its sandbox to do that which the church, or excuse me, the state is designed to do? Well, you have the Middle Ages or some form of Sharia law. Or what about the, the family? Is it the family's duty to be involved in automobile production? Is that its job? No. What about the church? Is it the church's job to set up a speed trap out here to catch all the speeders on Sunday morning? No. Each institution is to function inside of the sandbox that God has designed. Friends, we've got to work. We've got to provide in the way that God wants us to. And then finally, as a faithful father, God wants fathers to be protectors. Ephesians 5.25 specifically speaks of husbands, but I think we can correlate this with the institution of family. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Jesus do that? He died. He laid his life down. And in doing so, made provision for the sins of men. What a wonderful example to fathers. I think to a man, probably 99.9% of the men in here would die for their family. But would 99.9% of the men in here willingly give up the remote control? We've got to be protectors. Men, when we think about protecting our family in the year 2022, that means that we've got to understand what is happening on social media. We've got to understand what is happening in the trends and culture. We've got to have a working theology of God's institutions and how they're supposed to function. I've got to be in God's word no less than four days, apparently, so that I, I can know and, and communicate in a clear way what God wants I can protect my kids proactively and there are times where I've got to protect my kids reactively. I've got to be aware of the the wolves as John 10 communicates to us. The wolves that show up. The ideologies. The friends that aren't healthy. Those are hard things to do for a dad. Dads, be prophets, be priests, be providers, be protectors. And I would be remiss if I didn't say this. You can't do these four things on your own. In fact, if you have not savingly believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can't do one of them on your own. You need help. We need help. And there's help afforded to us. The Spirit of God, who takes up residence in me, when I savingly believe in Jesus Christ. So if you're committed to starting anew today, if you've not yet begun a a life with Jesus, begin today with Him. If you have, but you've fallen down in these four areas, run back to the cross. Start anew. Start over again today. But we need godly fathers 
We need more godly fathers who love the Bible, who love God, and are committed to him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the day. Thanks for Grace Chapel and this gospel outpost that it's been for so long. Lord, I pray that you would sustain the the husbands and fathers here in their efforts to be your kind of men. Lord, it seems like there's a, a leadership crisis everywhere in all of these institutions. Where are the faithful men? Lord, I pray that you would find them here in this place. And those who have been discouraged, those who have been falling down, Lord, would you come near to them, encourage their hearts to faithfully live out these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.